The friends and partners of Kevin Inman Ministries present Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. Pastor Kevin is committed to equipping you to earnestly contend for the faith. For more information on Pastor Kevin and Contenders Radio, please visit our website at www.kevininman.org. That's www.kevininman.org. Hello and welcome to another edition of Contenders Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Inman, and today on Contenders Radio, we are going to be talking about sharing the gospel. My friends, the church is so distracted and and we, we've... We've, we've lost our focus. We've lost our, our purpose. We've lost our way. We're groping around in the dark, it seems, looking to get um, bigger numbers in our worship services, looking to get more money in the plates, um, bigger buildings, uh, all, all these things that we, we've come to focus on in the last several decades. My friends, our focus is misplaced. It's, mis- it's misguided, and, and we must repent and get back to our mission on this Earth and the church, primarily, we are about glorifying the Lord God and making disciples. And there's much more that we could say about those things. But today, I I really want to focus on the fact that the church today really is not sharing the gospel out in the world the way the church used to share the gospel. And we can argue and and talk about Arminianism and Calvinism and how all those Calvinists, they think everyone's predestined and so they don't ever share the gospel. And and that's a very broad generalization. And and frankly, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. But my friends, listen, there is enough blame to go around that we don't need to point our fingers at, at those folks, those other guys, those other Christians, those who may believe a little differently than you, that sort of thing. We, folks, listen, we, we need to own this ourselves, and, and sharing the gospel is what we need to be about. Friends, I believe that, that the world is, is quickly growing more and more dark. Uh, we, are, we have uh, turned on Christ. I mean, the world is, is we're in a post-Christian society, obviously, um, here in America, and, and I know we've we've been held out to be you know one of the 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 great societies, the great civilizations here. I know, but my friends, listen. And I know there's a many many of you who are listening in other countries, but but friends, listen. Um, I'm, I don't know what you see, what you hear, what you read uh, about the church in America, but but things predominantly really are not good. We are. We are just basking in the glory days, how things used to be. But friends, listen, the United States of America is as big of a mission field as any other place in this world today. People need Jesus, and we are so distracted, and and, and I'm saying we, I'm including myself in this. It's so easy to get, to get bogged down and sidetracked, friends, but listen, we must be about sharing the good news, and you know, as a pastor, it's it's um, it's partly the duty of a pastor not just to preach the gospel, not just to disciple church members. Those are important, but but we are as as I'm sure someone has said before me. I, I like to say this now. Don't really remember where it came from, but but a, a minister really doesn't just feed the flock, but but we are to feed the flock. We're also to um, to provide, you know, for the flock, but we're we're also to 
to uh, protect the flocks as well. And so part of that protection is is as a pastor, we are to warn the flocks about wolves who may be in coming in among us, who may be uh, just out around the bend, so to speak, around the corner. But all of those things are part of what we do as a church. And 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 again, one of the one of the things that we seem to have been missing and and lacking on here as of late is simply sharing the gospel. And we must be about making disciples. It seems like a lot of churches today, all we're doing is swapping sheep and we're not making new disciples. We're not winning people to Christ. And so I want to spend a few moments today, uh, well, a few moments, the rest of our time together today, talking about sharing the gospel and, and specifically uh, just a few key ideas about what we are are to convey as we're sharing the gospel. And so uh, if you want to take notes, and, and I always encourage our people here to do so, and if you're able to do so safely, I would I would say do it. And some of you may be thinking safely. Why do we need to be reminded to safely take notes? Because if you're like me, you may hear this when you're driving. And, uh, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy I was like, oh, I got to take notes. And so I might even be driving and I might want to I might find myself wanting to grab something to write with while I'm driving. And friends, that's wrong. That's dangerous. You're not only a danger to yourself, you're a danger to whoever else is in the vehicle with you. But you're also a danger to everyone else on the road around you. So don't do that. Just pull over or wait. And you can always replay this later. But but friends, listen, when we share the gospel, people need to know several things. There's there's three key things they need to know. One is the decision's costly. Secondly, the decision is urgent. And thirdly, the decision is worth it. And so I want to spend some time talking about each of those things. The decision is costly. The decision is urgent. And the decision is absolutely worth it. And so first of all, let's look at that first key point. The decision is costly. When we share Christ with people, we don't want to to simply promise them their best life now because, frankly, that's just a lie. That's not the gospel. That's some uh, man-centered, man-made ideology that is really far removed from Scripture. Now, when we present the gospel to people, we need for them to understand that that it is absolutely costly. And because it's costly, they must consider it carefully. They must carefully consider the decision that they are making. Now, some of you may hear that and think, uh, we, we, we don't like that. We don't like the sound of that. We want to just share Christ with everybody and encourage them all to get saved and, and just welcome them in. And, and, and friends, listen, I get the sentiment. I get the feeling. I do that, that excitement about doing just that. Yes, I understand that. But at the same time, we want to make sure we are not making false converts. We don't want to simply get people emotional, get them excited, get them to pray a prayer or write their name on a, a decision card and, and even be bad baptized thinking that they're saved when the reality might not be so friends listen the decision is a costly decision and it must not be taken frivolously it must not be taken lightly it must be carefully considered it must be carefully considered in fact in luke chapter 9 luke chapter 9 verse 62 and and, and really for a number of verses before that jesus is 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 here speaking and and uh, he's he's addressing a crowd he addresses his his followers in this chapter as well and and um this is a powerful chapter about following jesus and we'll we'll come back to some of this at another time but but for now I want you to focus in on verse 62 as jesus is 
is addressing the crowd, and, and, and we see the rejection of, of Christ by worldly men. He, in verse 59, he, he, he says to another, follow me. And in fact, let me just back up here um, because he, uh, he, he's calling several folks to himself. But no, let's just start there. That's good. Verse 59, he says to a man, follow me. But the man said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Folks, listen, the, the, the imagery may be foreign to us. We, we don't typically use plows today, and especially this kind where we hook it up to uh, cattle, to oxen, uh, that sort of thing. And, and, and we have to look straight ahead to drive the cattle so that we make straight rows uh, for the planting of our crops. Otherwise, if we look over our shoulder to the left or to the right, we're going to, um, adju- we're going to make an adjustment. It, uh, it won't be intentional, but there will be an adjustment made to the course that we're taking. And our row uh, will be crooked. And so what he's saying is you don't put your hand to the plow and turn, or turn backwards. Why? Because you'll get off course. And that's, that's so important, folks. We want people to understand that. Listen, they need to take this seriously. They need to carefully consider what they're doing, what's involved, what's at stake, where they're headed now with this decision that they're making. And so it's, it, it's, it warrants our attention. It warrants our focus. Now, it's costly, and, and, and here's a few things to, to think about. We're, we're new creatures when we come to Christ. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is therefore a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we are new. And so the ideal here in, in light of this being a costly decision is we can't be the person that we were before we make this decision. Now, now let me just pause and say this. We don't clean ourselves up in order to come to Jesus and get saved. No, we come to Jesus just as we are, and he cleans, He cleanses us. He cleans us up. He saves us. But folks, listen, as we're, as we're preaching the gospel, we don't want to present just um, an easy-peasy believism to people. We want them to know that it's costly. Their life will change radically when they come to Christ, when Jesus brings us, when he draws us to repentance, and, and he does. And, and yes, we have a role to play by, by, by repenting, by believing, but still, folks, that starts with God. God draws us to himself and 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 really grants us the ability to repent in the first place, to believe in the first place. But but when we do take ownership of that part that we play, right? Just remember again um, in in John chapter one, both both the the sovereign choosing of God and the and the willful decision of man, both of those things are at play. Now notice I said willful. I didn't say free will. I think free will is a is a very inappropriate term. I think it's a loaded term. I think it's an inaccurate term. Our will as humans really is not free. Now, before you accuse me of some sort of hyper-Calvinism, just listen. It's not free in the sense that the Bible tells us that we are bound to sin or we are bound to God. We're children of Satan or we're children of God. So our will is bound up by our sin or by the freedom we have in Christ. There's no other option that the Bible presents to us. There's no neutral ground. We're not just sitting in a neutral corner like a Switzerland or something, right, waiting out to see how the war is going to play out. No, we, we're not neutral. There is no neutrality. We're either for Christ or against Christ. And so 
With that in mind, John chapter 1, we see verse 12 and following. The Bible says, as many as received him to, him, to them, rather, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So we read that, but as many as received him, we think, okay, there it is. We choose Christ. Well, read the next verse. It says, first of all, back to 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Verse 13 continues, those who are born, or rather were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, those who receive him are those who have been born of God, not of their own will. That's what verse 13 tells us. So, yes, we have a role to play, but the role is granted to us by God first and foremost. We work um, in tandem, if you will, with God. We don't get to just choose God out of out of uh, uh, our own independent uh, wisdom and, and sovereignty. Remember, the very definition of sovereign is that there can be only one. Remember the Highlander, there can be only one. All right, now some of you get that, some of you don't, but, but, but anyway, I digress. Let's move, let's move back to the text. The, the, truth of scriptures, uh, the truth of Scripture reveals to us that, yes, we have a will, but it's bound to sin or it's bound to Christ, and God is the one who saves us. He gives us the ability to believe in the first place. But friends, listen, as we come to Christ and realize that once we come to Christ, we're new creations, we're new creatures, the old things pass away and behold, all things become new. So friends, it's going to cost us all of the oldness of our life. When we come to Jesus, we cannot stay the same. It's not possible for us to remain lost in our sin. It's not, it's not possible for us to remain saved in our sin. It's just not. When we come to Christ, we are new creatures. And Paul, as we've as we've talked about uh, earlier in some previous episodes of of the long and the short, in fact, two or three episodes, if memory serves, in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-two, it says, "In reference to your former manner of life, you are to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted." Now, I added some words there. I apologize. Let me back up. I don't want to misquote scripture. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. I'm kind of reading in, reading in, I did read in an interpretation there, and I apologize for that. That's not a, a good practice. But, but what we see here, our former manner of life, we are to lay aside the old self. And he tells us why. It's being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. The lusts of deceit, it's plural, multiple lusts, all right? These lusts of deceit. That's hard to say, <laughs> but but that's what that's what we're to do. And so, because we 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 share Christ with people, we tell them that that the decision is costly. Because when they come to Christ, they're made new. When they come to Christ, they have to put off the old, according to Ephesians four twenty two. They lay aside the old life. It's corrupted. It's deceitful. There are lusts of deceit, multiple lusts there. And then we have to put on the new things, the new attitudes, the new behaviors, all of all of the newness. That that comes with a new life. That's what verse 4 says in Ephesians 4.24, remember. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then he continues from there, as we've seen previously, that we need to put off some things and put on some things. He gives us some specifics. And I would just encourage you to go back and take a look at that 
passage uh, all the way through the end of verse uh, verse 32 of chapter 4 and, and into the beginning of chapter 5. But, but again, listen, we must tell people the truth that the decision is costly. Therefore, we must carefully consider the decision. And, and, and when we come to Christ, not only are we new creatures, not only do the old things have to be put off, the new things put on, and we're active in doing that. It's a command for us to put off the old ways and to put on the new ways. Those are imperatives in the text of, of the Scripture, meaning they, they are uh, uh, actions for us to, to do, actively pursuing those things. But we're also, according to Ephesians 2, verse 10, we are to... Um, do the works that God prepared beforehand for us. So he prepared works before he even saved us because he knows all things. He's the omniscient God who inhabits eternity. He inhabits not just the past. He inhabits the past, the present, the future all at once. I mean, he is beyond our constructs of time, uh, all of those things. He is this massive, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal God, the self-existing one, the great I am. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> but but in Ephesians 2, Tim, it says we are his workmanship, meaning we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're not saved by those works, but we're saved to those works. And so part of the, the cost is knowing that we will now do the work of God. And so as we share the gospel with people, these aren't things that should be left out until we get them in, right? And then we'll dump all this on them. No, because, you know, we, we act like uh, we're, we're going to scare them away. Friends, listen, we must be up front. We must share the gospel with people, telling them truthfully up front that it's a costly decision. Secondly, the decision is urgent, so it must be made soon. It's costly, so it must be considered carefully. But secondly, it is an urgent decision. Therefore, it must be made soon. Luke chapter 12, verse 20. God says to them, Luke chapter 12, let me get there. Verse 20, I'm turning. Luke twelve twenty, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? In telling and talking to, pe- to people about um, the, the urgency of salvation, Jesus tells a story. All right, let me, let me get back there. I, I turned my, my pages of scripture too soon. He's telling a story. He tells them this parable as he's talking to someone in the crowd who who um, who's basically asking Jesus to to um, intervene in the family for him. There's a family matter. Tell he says, "Good teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me." But Jesus says, "Hey, who appointed me as your judge or arbitrator?" Now the reality is Jesus is the judge, and and he didn't have amnesia there. He knows who he is, but he's making a point. He goes on to to tell them some things, and as he's talking to them about greed and about guarding against greed, that sort of thing. He tells them this parable about the land of this rich man uh, who's very productive. And, and in the midst of that, this man is storing up all of these great things and he builds larger um, storage um, units to, to store up all of the all of the grains and all of his store goods. And, and, and verse 19, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Meaning, hey, don't worry about anything anymore. Just kick back, relax. You've got it made. You're on the easy street now. But Jesus said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the son, or excuse me, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. 
And he says to his disciples in verse 22, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor born, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Our Father knows our needs, he goes on to say later. And then he tells them to, um, in, in, in verse 31, uh, that we are to seek first his kingdom, and then all these other things will be added unto us, the Lord Jesus says. But we, we are to, again, remember the decision's costly, but the decision is urgent. We do not know how much time we have. This man storing up grain in the story that Jesus tells, and, and he's telling the parable to make a point. It has a point intended behind it. The point is we don't know how much time we have. Why work for all these things that will either they will either soil or we will leave it all for someone else? That's, that's kind of what's the ideal here. We need to focus on doing the things of God. Storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven by doing the works of God. So, but 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 again, the the point is that this is urgent, and, and the reality is that our life, according to uh, James chapter four verse four, our life is is but a uh, excuse me verse fourteen is but a vapor. In John four fourteen, the Bible says this: um, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And he, he goes on to tell them how we should live. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Anything else is, is pride. It's boastful. It's, it, well, it's, it's simply that. It's pride and boasting, and, and it must not be. The decision is so urgent because our life is a vapor. We do not know how much time we have. We need to plan as if we'll be here for you know a hundred years, but we need to we need to live as if every second counts. And friends, that's hard. I know, I know that's hard, and and I find myself um, battling the but you know both of those extremes at times. And and sometimes let's be honest, sometimes we even just kind of get lost in the middle ground there, and and uh, we just kind of we just kind of exist it seems like sometimes and and friends that's wrong we need to live we need to live as if this is the last moment we have we need to make the most of every opportunity because the time is at hand and and we don't know how much time that we have psalm 139 16 reminds us that that all of our days are known by the lord he knows all of our days. We don't know. He doesn't put an expiration date on us that we can visibly read or, you know, even if it's like on the back of our head or something, we can say, hey, hey, friend, uh, what's that expiration date? Oh, okay, 11, 17, uh, 20, 27. Oh, I've got plenty of time. No, we have no idea when God's going to call our number. And it will happen to all of us unless the Lord comes back by way of rapture for his church. It'll happen to all of us. And Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed man to die once and then comes the judgment. And so we know that there is a day that is appointed for us to face God. And none of us know when uh, that exact time may be. He may call us heavenward at any moment. And so, friend, we need to, we need to again, plan Plan out things um, uh, as if we're going to be here a long time. Yes, but live each day as if it's our last and make the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. So we need to seize the day, so to speak. We do. We need to seize the day and share the gospel with people. Friends, Jesus 
is worth it. And that's the third point. We want to tell people that it's costly. Don't do this lightly. Don't just do it for me. You need to know what you're doing here. You need to know who God is. We need to know how sinful we are, who we are without him. We need to know what Jesus has done for us. And we need to know what he expects of us when we come to him. All of those things are important in sharing the gospel. It's costly. It's urgent because we don't know how much time we have. And finally, the decision is worth it. And friends, it's not just worth it. It's absolutely, certainly, definitively worth it. So we want to make this decision. It's costly. So think about it. Carefully consider it. It's urgent. So do it soon. Don't put off till next week or next year or next whatever, next decade, because you've got plenty of time. No, it's urgent. So make it soon. But friends, listen, it's worth it. So you want to make this decision. You do. You absolutely do. Jesus is so worth it. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly to the full. Real life is how we describe that. He wants us to know what real life is all about. And friends, there is no greater look at what that real life really encompasses than to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And so with the remaining few minutes that we have here today, I want you to think about this, that this life This decision to live the crucified life, to be a Christian, is worth it. And when we share the gospel with people, we want them to know that. But turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this. uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse, I'm telling you the wrong verse. Where where is this? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. There it is, Philippians 1, 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To live is Christ. His life found all of its meaning in Christ. His gain coming when he dies, what he's saying is that that to die would be profitable for him because he would be with Christ. He would be there. There would be no limitation any longer. He would be in the presence of Christ. And so to live now is Christ, but to die is gain because we would be with Christ. Now, friends, listen, you may think, well, that's the Apostle Paul. He didn't really have a whole lot going on. I mean, it wasn't like he was, you know, a, a millionaire, a billionaire, you know, and, and he he had he was the CEO of some big uh, Fortune 500 company. Yeah, he didn't really have a whole lot going on. He wasn't a ladies' man. He, he apparently had some health problems, you know, something, some thorn in his flesh. And so, you know, it was worth it for him. But me, I've got a lot going on. Friend, you are so mistaken if that's what you've been led to believe about the Apostle Paul. That is so far from the truth. The Apostle Paul absolutely had it going on. If if there was like a Mr. GQ, I guess we could say Mr. Uh, uh, this is going to be so corny, Mr. Uh, Jeju. That's so lame. I'm sorry I even said it. I even thought about how lame it was before I said it, and yet I still said it. But if there was some magazine or some poster, some billboard for you know the man's man, I'm telling you that Paul would have been that guy. He was the Jew's Jew. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. This guy had it going on. He was at the top of the food chain, so to speak, as far as being the man's man in his day. The Apostle Paul wasn't just some outcast. He was happening now. I don't know. My, my language kind of dates me here. I get, but but I, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. It's not that, you know, he didn't have anything, so of course Christ looked good. No, he had everything and Christ looked better. And friends, you and I need to get to that place to where this world means nothing to us, but Christ means all 
Christ means all. Now listen, listen. My, my, my excitement, my enthusiasm, my, my conviction, my emotion is getting the best of me here, friends. But listen, Paul says this. He, he says in, in Philippians chapter 3, it's, it's sort of like, a, um, and, and there's several places we, we see these, these types of things here with Paul. But, but here in, a, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and following, well, verse 4, into verse 4, he says, If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now listen, he's not, he's not boasting out of pride here. He's just saying, look, if you think you have a reason to boast, I'm telling you, I've also got a reason to boast. That's what's in view here. He's, he's speaking uh, hyperbolically. There's, there's uh, hyperbol- hi- with hyperbole, excuse me, um, hyperbole. Anyway, never mind. Yeah, there's some hyperbole here, but but he says, listen, verse five, circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Listen, found blameless. He, I'm telling you, Paul had it going on. Verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Do you see that? All of that gain, he says, is nothing. Verse 8, more than that, I count all those things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You see, all of the accolades, all of the prestige, all of the accomplishments, all of the gain, all of the worldliness, all of the uh, abilities, all of the giftedness, all, all that he had, garbage, rubbish compared to gaining Christ. Verse 9, and may be found in him. So I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And he says, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of, uh, of me, um, which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus. My friends, that is a worthwhile pursuit. That is someone who understands the costly decision, that understands the urgency of the decision, and also understands that the decision is definitely worth it. And my friends, there is nothing that compares to knowing Jesus Christ. There is nothing of value here compared to Jesus Christ. He is all And he should be our aim. And when we share Christ with people, there should be an excitement. Not that, oh, you know, if you don't have anything better to do, maybe you want to consider this. No, my friends, we should tell people that Jesus is absolutely worth it and that there is no promise of tomorrow. Therefore, it's urgent. But friends, listen, it will cost you everything. You give up being the boss. You give up being the director, the CEO. You give up being the president of the board of your life. And those reigns, those those uh, rights get handed to Jesus. He is Lord of all of our life. Or friends, he is not Lord at all of our life. So we need to share Christ with people 
this way, letting them know the cost, the urgency, and the worth of coming to Christ. But when we do so, listen, we need to do so with care, pleading, even persuading, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, seeking to persuade men that they would come to Christ. We need to put forth the effort. And like Paul, again, back to Paul in Romans 9.3, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Listen, I don't know if I've got that sort of prayer in me, but that is the goal that we are to strive to be so concerned about the salvation of others that we would even be cut off if it meant that they would come to Christ. That's the condition of Paul's heart. That's the attitude of his heart. And friends, that's something that you and I should seek to imitate. Such a passion for sharing the truth. And when we do so, we need to do so plainly, letting them know once again, it's costly, it's urgent, but it is so worth it. So God bless you as you share Christ with others this week and in the weeks to come should the Lord tarry. Until next time, if the Lord so wills it. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast of Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. For more information on this or other broadcasts, please log on to our website, contendersradio.com. That's contendersradio.com. You can also find us on the web at kevininman.org. That's kevininman.org. There you will find podcast episodes, blog posts, study helps, and more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks again for listening. And may God bless you in your pursuit of the truth.